to the Zen House Podcast. I am your host, Enrico Moses. Along with me is my co-host, Sean Remock. This podcast was created for leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs to learn, grow, and connect deeper with your mission and purpose in life. We bring to you real-life ideas that you can bring into your daily routine. We interview some amazing leaders, creatives, and entrepreneurs to learn from a diverse group of ideas and ways to tap into your zen. Whether this is how you start your day, take your commute, listen while you're at work, or consume at your leisure, we hope it adds more zen to your life and makes this world a better place. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Zen House podcast. Today, we have another powerful guest with us, Ken Honda, who is the author of Happy Money. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ken. Hello, good good morning or good evening, Enrico and Sean. I'm so honored to be here. It's my um, morning, and I think it's your afternoon. It is. It is. Good morning to you. Good morning and good afternoon. And you sound like you're just right next to me. <laughs> so interesting, this, you know, internet um, thing. I know this this new world we're in of, you know, virtual worlds and, and to be able to have these type of conversations from across the world. Where are you tuning in from and calling in from today? I am um, doing this from my retreat center, which is outside of Tokyo, about two hour drive. So I'm surrounded by forest, deer, rabbits, and and more more animals than people. That sounds amazing. Might have to take a retreat out there one day. (laughs) Yes, I have so many uh, thousands of books, so I'm in heaven. Wow, that sounds awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book, Happy Money? Thank you for asking. I have, I've had a unique life. I've been uh, very successful in my 20s. And when I was 21, uh, 29, um, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant. So instead of um, working harder, which uh, Japanese guys do, you know, <laughs> after they find out that uh, their wives are pregnant, I decided, we decided to take uh, some time off. Uh, for a baby girl. And that sometime uh, was extended to four years. How old were you when you did that? uh, I was 29. And um, so from 29 to 33, we really uh, concentrated on child raising. So three of us have had such fun time. And during the course of my semi-retirement, I got this inspiration. If all of us were free from money, emotionally and financially, we'd be much better off. But most of us struggled uh, so much. So I, one time I was at the park and um, my baby and I and my wife were kind of having a nice time. And there's this mother and a uh, um, child and uh, the child was crying because uh, uh, mother was uh, dragging uh, the, the child out of the swing because she, she was saying, Mommy, your mommy got to work. You know, we got, we have to go. Mm. But uh, I was kind of watching them, right? They were just there five minutes ago. Like, right. They have to go. Just got there. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, they're going to be there for an hour. And then I, it really hit me. I've been away for from work and all the, you know, what's going on in the world. But I realized if she had more money, I'm sure they wanted to stay there longer. 
And uh, we are so bound by money and uh, we are so scared of money. We have so much stress. And especially with what's go- going on, all of us are feeling some kind of stress. It doesn't really matter how much you have or how much you make. It's a different kind of stress, but the money stress. So I thought, oh, maybe I can just um, write something for somebody like them. And I started writing. Now I have this accounting uh, background and consulting uh, and uh, major in law. Mm. So I'm far from writing something, but I did it anyway. So my first book was a pretty good hit. You know, we sold about 100,000 copies and then I got so many offers. And since then I've written about 56 or seven books and sold about 8 million copies, mostly in Japan. And last year, I started writing in English, which is also another big adventure because English is such a complicated language. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just still don't get it, but it's so hard. But I just did it anyway. It took me three years to write, but uh, I released Happy Money and it's been translated into 20 some languages and mm-hmm. it's been now in German, Italy, mm-hmm. and Portuguese and Spanish. And they're out in 20 some countries now. It's amazing. Yeah, thank you. This idea of being stressed about money in having a relationship that's stressful, it's, you know, curious about all the different ways that we can associate ourselves with money, you know, as a child growing up into adulthood, how we see our parents, how we see our siblings, how we see the world interact with this flow of money. And it's just fascinating how you talk about it. And and just like the meaning behind money and how it can drive and create a trajectory for our lives. And I'm curious yes. to know like underneath and underneath the stress and the relationship and the dynamic with money, like where are the main and the common sources of this stress and where does it come from? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when we receive money, we feel stress. We feel, we feel very stressful about the amount of money we're getting. Like, is this like all? <laughs> and then we get frustrated. And also, um, we're in the flow of money. So when we spend it, also we feel like, I don't want to you know, just spend this money. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay for bills. I don't want to pay for uh, this Amazon thing. But you know, uh, even though you spent it, right? So you feel resentful about spending or releasing your money. So we are in the flow of stressful money coming in, both coming and going out. And a lot of us are afraid of money because one day we may be run out of money, especially when you lost your jobs because of what's going on. I think it's very natural reaction that you feel fearful or if you have anxiety about making both ends meet. And it's not only in North America, it's also in Europe, China, Japan, Africa, India, uh, whoever is a reader, uh, they all um, agree that we are under big stress. Yeah, I think that money is one of those things that we know we all have to deal with, right? And so we're trying to figure out how do we live this life that we're passionate about, that we care about, while we're able to make money. And I know you talk about 
um, your mentor in your book mm-hmm. a lot and how that was such a powerful relationship for you. So I'm curious, um, you know, what are some of the main things that you learned from your mentor and just like overall, what are some pieces of advice for getting into, you know, having a good mentor like yourself? It feels mm-hmm. like he was so powerful in your life. Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, I met this mentor of mine. His name was uh, Wahei Takeda. And he passed away a few years ago um, in his 80s. But when I met him, he was um, still very you know, powerful. Mm-hmm. And he was called Warren Buffett of Japan. He was successful uh, as an investor. And before, um, the, the way he, he built his fortune is selling cookies for kids. So he's uh, like a legend, like an owner of a you know chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. So he has a he's a mystery because he doesn't go on TV, he doesn't go on magazines a lot. So I was so lucky to be able to have a um, personal a couple minutes with him one time at the party. So I asked him, "What is the secret money?" And he said, "Oh, only, there's only one thing, and that is arigato your money." <laughs> and and I, I was so confused. What? Arigato your money? And he said, yes. Actually, there are two things. Arigato money, when you, arigato in, arigato out. Mm-hmm. That means when money comes in, you appreciate the money coming in. And when you spend your money, also thank the money for being with you. And I ask him, uh, is that it? And yes, yes, try that. And then somebody has cut in. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like left there speechless. And it's almost like, uh, Dr. Mia, uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi, uh, Miyagi is uh, teaching you about karate, right? Karate kid walks in, walks up, mm-hmm. and it cannot be that simple. <laughs> right. But since then, I practice a little bit when I receive money from somebody. I just say arigato to the money and also arigato, thank you, to the, the, the person. And also when I spent it, I did it with more appreciation each time. And it just simply made me feel very good. Because I really wanted to thank the waitress and the shopkeeper or whoever the person I was paying to. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for your service. I really enjoyed it. So the fact that I just thanked them made me feel good. And then it's what's interesting is a few months later, my income grew. And I, I had more clients. And the reason is that my appreciation was conveyed to my clients. So right. I got more referrals. So I thought, wow, it really works. I thought it's a spiritual teaching, but it's not. It's a practical teaching because people want to be around uh, other people who appreciate more instead of complaining about things. So true. So I'm curious about, you talked about how the grandparents and how understanding your grandparents can really teach you a lot about Mm -hmm. what's happening you know, yes. with, with your money. Can you speak more to that? Yes. I have done many counseling, money counselings, and with couples and family members. Some, sometimes I counsel four people at the same time. So I found out the reason why we are so afraid of money and uh, the reason why I end up being a spender, warrior, and uh, saver, and money maker, which I might refer later, we uh, become different money types. You know, some people like spending, some people like saving, some people are obsessed with making money. So the reason why we become who we are is the way we are brought up when we're a small child. And then it, the, the, all the things and money belief and also uh, many beliefs about life 
we are handed down from our parents. And uh, I just complained about my uh, about to my father, and he said, "No, no, no! It's not my fault. It's my father's fault." <laughs> so, oh, yes, I, I'm sure he was trained and taught that way when he was small. So, just I imagine my grandparents and who they are. I, I know their names barely, but I don't know who they are because they passed away when I was small. So, I just. Kind of did the、uh, investigation as a detective almost, and you know when I had a, a gathering of my relatives, I asked my uncles and great uncles about my、uh, you know grandparents, and I've learned so many things. And it kind of I could imagine the reason why my father was so messed up. He was alcoholic.、Uh, is that my grandfather was so messed up, and also I assume. Uh, my grandfather was messed up because my grand grandfather was also messed up too. So the, all the bad things come from、uh, generations. It's almost like I call it、uh, our family tradition. <laughs> you know,、uh, you have to be careful with money because why?、Uh, because our grandparents went bankrupt. That's why my father had a tough time in his childhood. So he decided when he was seven. You have to be careful with the money; otherwise, you're being in in a big trouble. So that fear that he had felt、uh, when he was seven is passed on to me, and I'm I'm in my fifties, <laughs> you know. And my father is gone. My grand grandparents are almost also gone too, right? But the belief that it was formed seventy years ago, eighty years ago, maybe for North American people during the Depression time. People felt so fearful, and that has been handed down to your grandparents and your parents, and and now、um, with this what、um, economic recession, you feel fearful when you spend money. So unless you kind of、um, look at yourself and where these money、um, money beliefs come from,、um, you are almost controlled by your parents and grandparents, and controlled by Fear and emotions. Yeah, it's it's interesting because from our grandparents and the past generations, it's like money was seen as a form of security. Yes, and that instilled the fear of needing to always be secure to know that we're going to have enough. And this brings to the point of the myth of scarcity, where it's will we have enough? Will we have enough? As you beautifully portrayed in in the book Happy Money,、mm-hmm. and Like moving to the opposite extreme, this idea of a life of abundance, having an overflowing life and being able to overflow and be full, and not come from a place of fear or scarcity, and that's you know I'd love to learn more about that lifestyle, that way of living in an an abundant way. And yes, yeah, yes, thank you. So I think the key is once again my mentor's、um, teaching: "Arigato in, arigato out." When money comes in, you can appreciate it,、uh, and also when you spend it, can you appreciate it? If you start doing it, you can start this cycle of appreciation, and you are in either in the flow of happy money or unhappy money. Happy money makes you smile, unhappy money makes you frustrated, resentful. So it doesn't really matter how much you make or how much you have; it's about your attitude. So especially from、um, from now, we're going to have a lot of hardships like hundred years ago. So in this chaotic time, 
can we stay appreciate, uh, appreciative about ourselves, our family members, our friends, and our society? Because it's so easy to get upset with the uh, virus uh, or the community or uh, the in injustice, unfairness, government. And if you start complaining about things, you will feel miserable. Mm. And, and instead, you can appreciate at least you have a food on the table tonight. Uh, don't, for, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is not here today. So if you focus on appreciation, uh, Wahe said, human mind can conceive only one thing at a time. So if you focus on appreciation, you have no, you have no room for worrying. So one of my students who practiced this happy money uh, idea, uh, she said, Ken, after two weeks, I forgot how to worry about money <laughs> because, you know, she was an obsessive warrior. But now she appreciates um, just even a tiny thing uh, that she just texted me, uh, sent me a picture. I saw a double rainbow, you know, it's so beautiful. And then it's nothing to do with money. But this mm -hmm. attitude shift in her mm -hmm. uh, got her raise and got her better jobs. And um, it's so many different, better things. Mm. I love that. I feel like so many of us define ourselves by how much money we make, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if I'm making a lot of money, then I'm a valuable person and people should care about me. If I'm not making money, then am I really that valuable? Am, you know, am I worthy of being in a relationship? Um, just thinking about self-worthiness. So my question is, like to somebody who's not feeling valuable, right? Maybe they're at zero or they're in debt. Like what, I know they're being thankful, but what are some other steps that they can take to realize that they're not defined by how much money they're making at this moment? Mm -hmm. So you have to really uh, separate how much you have or how much, uh, your financial status mm -hmm. from being who you are. Mm -hmm. I think especially in North America, there's this tendency to value, uh, to judge you by how much you have or how much you make. It's a cultural thing. But I think North American people wouldn't know unless um, you have lived somewhere else. It's because it's a, a cultural, almost like a, um, brainwashing that you have to have. You have to have more. You have to be more. But uh, who we are and uh, how much value we have is nothing to do with how much money you have. But you could easily get mixed because of all the marketing uh, messages from you see on TV and uh, all the other media. So you have to uh, ask yourself, am I the same value as uh, how much I, ha I have financially? You know, the answer is no. So once you kind of cut off from the um, cultural norm, you begin to understand who you are. And... Um, and the more you like about yourself, more you, uh, love you have for yourself, you can have more love for other people. So I think that's something uh, that you have to start um, pouring love into yourself. If you don't do that, nobody's going to do that for you, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so, and especially uh, what's going on makes it harder. You know, people are not, uh, cannot be nice to each other if you're not happy. You know, a happy person cannot do 
uh, mean, uh, mean things, you know, because they're just, their love is overpouring. Mm-hmm. But if we are so full of, full of anger, resentment, and uh, fear, you cannot be nice to other people. No, no, you cannot nice to y- yourself either. You're, yeah. you're almost abusive to yourself too. Like, how, how, how come you didn't work harder? That's why you lost your job. You know, it's nothing to do with that. It's a circumstance. It's circumstantial. So you have to really be gentle, more gentle to yourself and gentle to other people. Otherwise, um, you're digging. Uh, 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 there's an expression in Japanese. You're digging your grave hole by yourself. <laughs> so you're digging deeper. <laughs> yes. We don't want to do that. We don't want to dig our own grave. So yeah, like, so let's be compassionate. Yes. So that I think that's the first step. And the easiest one is to arigato your money. Thank your money. And it's so easy. And anybody can do that. And then it will really shift your emotions and mood. Mm-hmm. I really love that. I personally, I'm so interested in the, some of the Eastern philosophies, right? The, the concept of Zen mm-hmm. and how does that integrate with the West? So I feel like the East has these philosophies and then you also have the West, right? That has these different philosophies. So I'm curious, what do you think that we in the West can learn from Eastern philosophy? And what do you think possibly the Eastern philosophy can learn from the West? Mm-hmm. So Japan is an interesting mix because um, we are one of the uh, industrialized countries, mm-hmm. but yet uh, we have this very different set of philosophy, as you, as you said, Eniko. So um, perhaps I think I can explain by the most often uh, asked questions. Uh, you know, uh, in North America, when I talk about money container, we everyone is born with a certain size money container. You know, it's a concept. Some people are born with a bigger container, like Bill Gates and all the other people, and Jeff Bezos, right? And uh, some people are born with a smaller container, so that person will not have a gigantic companies. So uh, North American people would ask me, so Ken, how can I make my money container bigger? So that's like their typical way of thinking, right? I'm not just playing or criticizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Japan, I get most asked ask questions is that, uh, so Ken, how can I be satisfied with my money container? Mm-hmm. So it's a you know different perspective. So instead of like uh, being obsessive with how can I have more? How can I be more? How can I grow? Instead, Zen teaches you to be there, uh, to be right here, hmm. present time. So don't plan, you know, don't get out of now and then plan, don't live in your future or don't live in your past because what's going on is right here at this moment. Hmm. So I think that's uh, probably how uh, Eastern philosophies think. And, uh, but uh, if you just go too far, you just meditate and, and then uh, spend most of your life too. <laughs> and I thought, I think that's not life either, right? So you have to have the balance uh, in between. So you have to be more content. And also you can check, you can be more, so you can be felt helpful for other people if that's your path. And if it, that's not your path, you can sit there and meditate uh, all day. So, but you have a choice. But I think uh, Western people tend to think that you have to do more. And uh, Eastern people tend to think that, you know, you have to kind of go inward. So um, I think it's a cultural difference, but I think we can learn 
from each other. Mm. Beautiful. And, and I think what comes up for me is, you know, two questions. And the first one is talking about how you beautifully illustrated in your book, like the energy and the flow of money. And when there's a lot of movement, a lot of energy happening, you know, maybe in the metropolitan or the urban areas like New York City, Los Angeles, Seattle, there is a lot of money being circulated. And so opposed to being, you know, in places that are less dense or less populated, perhaps there's less of a flow or of an energy of money and like the money is more, the energy is more kind of calm and, and curious about like, you know, to what your thoughts are about how that really differentiates. Yeah. So um, money, I, I often explain about money as an energy. Uh, the money energy runs faster in cities uh, because uh, from one person to the other person, money kind of runs around. So um, that's why um, cities are getting bigger, like New York City, like Los Angeles, Chicago, or, uh, or Paris or London, right? So uh, in big, bigger cities, there's more opportunities because there are more people. But because of this internet um, uh, technologies, like we, what we're doing, we can be anywhere and then we can operate as long as we're doing everything online. If you're just uh, opening up a restaurant, it's, it's better to have, you better have that in the, the city. Uh, but if it's an online thing, you can do anywhere uh, on the planet. So I think uh, what's going on in terms of uh, money uh, is also has shifted at least for the past five years. I have many clients and, and they just keep uh, sending me what's going on in their life. And um, um, more people affected uh, with what's going on are in the cities. So uh, the people who are doing business or people who live outside of big cities, they're not as affected as much. You know, uh, one guy who's a, a farmer, he doesn't spend money. He's off grid, right? <laughs> he does. He he uses electricity from his solar panel, and he has his own water uh, well, and so and he has a, a wood, you know, burner. So he he doesn't. Um, he's not in this modern life, and he says. Uh, oh, you know, people are just scared about what's going on, but our life hasn't changed even a bit. You know, we, when we get up in the morning, we burn wood and woods and just drink hot water and just take a walk and just cultivate, you know, and, and make rice and vegetables. So it's going to be very interesting. I think I, uh, in my um, YouTube channel, I talk about the future of mankind. And I think uh, we're experiencing a huge shift. Uh, over the past 400 years, we have developed cities and um, that was a center of attention. So by being uh, together, we kind of raised the prices of uh, land and appreciated everything. But uh, from now, everybody's gonna take a look at it as a bigger risk. So we're gonna spread out more. So I think we're going to form some kind of communities outside of big cities. So we're going to have a new interesting economic community, which is nothing to do with the physical world. And, uh, and as long as you have, uh, you set up the system of uh, new economy, uh, new internet-based economy, you don't have to be 
uh, in the cities. So I think uh, all the uh, cities uh, will, uh, will, will experience uh, less population, less activities, and people spread out. And I think people with the same uh, wavelength, is what you say, will be together. So it's going to be interesting. There will be uh, hundreds of thousands of small communities you know, uh, will be there. And they are totally different. Mm. And speaking of the future, so when we look at the value of money itself and mm-hmm. we look into the future, and I remember you were talking about how when you looked at the past and what was currency when it was salt and using as preservation and then going yes. into oil and then going into money, it's like, so where do we go from here into the future? And how do we look at the value of money itself? And will it, will it disappear? Will it become something else? Will it get stronger? What will happen? I think money will be there like salt. But I talked in, in, about this in, in my book. You know, people killed each other for pepper and salt um, 400 years ago. You know, that's why um, Ma- uh, Mazaland and Columbus kind of, you know, took, uh, ri- took a big risk in just go- going around the world. But uh, I don't know anybody who's trying to kill somebody over salt and pepper these days, right? So I think money will be there. And I think as a transaction, it's just the numbers, like how much, uh, let's say $150 for electric bills and stuff like that. But people will not have emotional value to that. Uh, Because uh, I asked my students in my seminars, I usually do big seminars, and uh, how many of you know uh, how many liters or how many gallons of water you spent last month? And you may know how much you, you spent, right? On bills, but you don't know how many gallons of water, a toilet, bathroom, shower. Nobody. It's amazing. You know, they just uh, um, recognize it as, as, as money, right? It was uh, $53. Something like, but even that, even though that is only 10%, you know, in the group, but people don't care how much water or how much electricity um, you spent last month. So, that means we have no interest. And also, do you know how much air you breathed last year or last uh, yesterday? You know, you don't know because oh, uh, air is there. So I think money will become like air or water, which is like, I know that they exist, but I don't care so much about it. There's more important thing to do in my life. So people focus on more. Uh, I think probably the most precious thing will be time. Mm-hmm. How do I want to spend my time? And also the space too. You know, do I live in a big, do I want to live in a big city? Or do I want to um, live in um, like in the forest? And also uh, who you are with will be more important than what you do. Mm -hmm. Because I think the basic human rights is to, is the right to be with the people you like. So in front, in, from that perspective, most of us are in an abusive uh, place, right? Like we don't want to um, be with certain people in the workplace, but that's all. I think um, for me, it's an abuse, mm. abusive situation. So where you are, who you are with, and how you t- spend your time with is much, much important. Will be much more important than how much money you make. So people are not going to sacrifice. Um, that importance uh, over money. 
so people will find less and less、uh, value in money. Of course, you have to have money for survival. But after that, people wouldn't pay much more on clothes than before,、uh, as long as it's wearable and as long as it keeps you warm. Probably they wouldn't care so much than before.、Mm. I love what you say about being forced to be with people you don't like is a form of abuse. <laughs> And、yeah. I also feel like, you know, working a job that you hate is just like、mm-hmm. it tears us. It tears us apart as humans. And you know, there's been during this last election cycle here in America, there was a lot of. Talk for the first time around universal basic income.、Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if you've heard of that concept and just like what your thoughts. It feels like that might be the direction that we're heading in. I'm just curious, like how does that integrate into happy money? Yeah, actually, I often talked about it、uh, in my seminar.、Um, I predicted it's going to happen in about five years, but now because of what's going on, it's happening right now. Because you know, thirty more than thirty、uh, million people in North America are getting paid by the government. You know, that's a lot more people than government employee, right? Right. So I think it's uh, uh, I can, we can take a look at it as almost like a, a one form of universal income.、Mm-hmm. So, but we cannot keep going that way. So I assume there will be a financial、uh, economic crisis globally. You know, Argentina declared、uh, you know default、uh, a few weeks ago, and I think what's going on also will spread. Like Italy, Spain, Korea will be the next ones. So the government、uh, will go bankrupt because we cannot afford it, and after that, we will come up with some kind of system. I think that would involve universal income.、Uh, And so,、uh, after all the chaotic time for the next few years, I think、uh, we are going to have a new, different world. So right now,、uh, it's like a,、uh, we are playing a musical chair. You know,、uh, the so limited limited numbers of jobs available, and the music is playing. And then you know, people are just scared, like, "Oh, can I take a seat?" And、uh, we're just going to do that、uh, scary、uh, games for a little while too. Really cleanse what we don't need. So,、uh, whoever lost a job, I always say congratulations. <laughs> Now you can start a new life.、Mm-hmm. And then you really have to take a look at your life.、Uh, the people who've lost their jobs, I want、uh, to ask themselves: Do you really, really, really want to do that? And then people who lost their jobs, you probably, you know, my guess is like more than ninety percent of the people said. As long as I get paid by the government, I don't care.、Yep. <laughs> so, you have to start now、uh, with a, a, a support from the government. You have a few months,、uh, you know, time given government. Okay, now you have to find what you love, and then start just finding. And the time is now. Let's start. <laughs> so everybody has to start finding what's calling you. So I think this is a beautiful global phenomena that everybody has a chance with the pay, without pay. You know, some sometimes it's it's not fair, but it's a, a, a fun way of making your game more exciting because you really have to hurry, right? If you have no money, so I think it's a great motivation. Money can be a fun motivation, at least right now. 
but it won't be for the next 10 years because even if you, somebody is offering you a salt, you know, bag of salt, I'll give you this salt. Can you start working hard? No, <laughs> like, you know, 90 millions of years. So probably people will feel the same re uh, reaction five years from now if somebody is offering a lot of money. Oh, yeah, I'll leave it there. So, so mm -hmm. I think this is a great timing for most of us to start finding who we are and what we are supposed to do in our life. And then um, instead of having this crisis, not people cannot just quit their jobs and start their own life. So this is a fun start. 30 million people are starting a new life. And this idea about a new life comes the beginner's mindset to be a mm -hmm. student, to be a beginner, to create from possibly nothing. And it's like our audience being entrepreneurs and creatives and leaders and yourself in so many ways being all three of those. It's like, I'm curious to know, like, what does it mean being a beginner, being a student and really going back to that life of abundance and thriving as a beginner? Um, when I, you asked me that question, I remember almost 20 years ago when I started out as, as an author, I wanted to prove what you, um, by doing what you love can bring money. And I wanted to just explore the possibility. So I just set up a goal to start making $300,000 a year by doing what you love. And uh, I, I, I try to think about it for uh, six months. Should I start uh, um, like a food, food car? So that sells like hot dogs and, and Japanese rice balls and stuff. And uh, I remember I love books, right? So, okay. So I was going to start a bookstore, but I, I had this accounting a consulting background. So I have, it's like a cheating, right? Running a business is another form. So, okay, I have to give myself a test that's so irrelevant. It's so out of like norm. And I came up with this idea. Okay, maybe I should become an author because I love books. I'm very excited about reading and I'm very excited about writing too. I've never done it. But I got so hooked up with this idea. Okay, mm. I'll become an author. And my mother thought I was going crazy <laughs> <laughs> because I, you know, she, know, she knew I love books, but like uh, reading books and writing books are different, right? Mm. But I got so excited and just went to a bookstore and I just pick, um, pulled out all the books, how to become a writer. That's, how, that's the beginning of my career. So you really have to find what you're very excited about and it could be a singing, it could be a writing or whatever that is. And then combine the gifts. I, uh, I, with all the 50 other books, I talk about how to monetize, how to find your gifts and how to monetize your gifts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way to do it is to find what you're excited about uh, when you're small in your teens and what, uh, what you spend your time and money on. And once you start focusing on, yes, I want to be a writer. I want to be a podcaster or whatever that is. Uh, so whoever uh, listened to many podcasts like yourself probably have this gift of starting one. And not many people uh, just think that way because, oh, no, 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 they're the stars. I'm the regular guy. I felt that way too 20 years ago, but I started anyway. So I was so excited about happiness and money. Uh, all my books are on that. 
So, and uh, I didn't know how many people would read it. Probably like my mom, my brother, my sister, and maybe my wife <laughs> and, uh, and my best friend. So like at least I can sell five copies. Mm-hmm. And uh, that five copies grew to uh, like 100 people, 200 people. So I started printing out my booklets, you know, 26 page copy and uh, booklets and staple them every, every day. That's how I started my career. And then I made booklets for 3,000. I started giving away. The 3,000 disappeared in, in a month. And then another 3,000, another 3,000. And by the time I um, printed a lot, a publisher called me and I became a, a writer. And uh, after that is a legend in Japanese book industry. Uh, that's how I started. Mm. So just expect something fun, something really, you know, so I went to a high school reunion a few years ago after 20 some years. All of them were so, so super surprised that I became a writer because <laughs> they, they didn't know it's coming. It's not, you know, it's that, that this is the way. So many of my friends are ended up being a, a banker or, um, you know, who work in a corporate place. I'm the only one with a long hair in a different <laughs> life. Mm-hmm. So you really have to find gifts that will really open doors for you. Mm -hmm. Wow. I resonate so much with that. I I feel like the part that you said about tapping into fun, right? It's like Mm -hmm. beginner mindset. It's like, when were we beginners? When we were children? It's just like, that's where we learn so much of having fun. And yeah, I just, I think that's great advice. So Ken, are you ready to enter into the Zen round? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Amazing. So the first question of the Zen round is, what does Zen mean to you? To me, Zen is in this moment. Beautiful. And what is one of your favorite foods to eat? Food. I, um, I say melon. And after I said that in my interviews, sometimes I get eight melons a day. <laughs> oh. Nice. <laughs> so send some Ken some melons. He loves <laughs> Yeah, I got two yesterday. So Amazing. What is one of your favorite places to travel and why? Oh, um, I, it's hard to answer for me because there, um, wherever I go, I meet somebody so interesting. So I like cities. I like also nature. Um, nature like Sedona, Arizona is a beautiful place. And also I like New York and Los Angeles, big cities. So, but I love uh, where I am uh, at the moment. I'm, I'm surrounded by books and greens. What is one of your favorite movies? Favorite movie is, I think, probably the most imp- inspiring one is uh, Paid Ford. That is a movie that sort of got me started as a writer. I, after mo- uh, watching the movie, I just start started thinking, what can I start doing? And I, for me, I wanted to start sharing what I know about money. Hmm. Beautiful. Nice. What is one thing you're currently doing that you should be doing more of? I think exactly what I'm doing. You know, I'm so happy with where I am. I have everything, but. Uh, uh, doing this in English is a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
I think uh, doing more activities in English is uh, something I think I should do more. I, I really enjoy it, but I'm lazy. So I can, uh, I can write faster in Japanese and, and English is killing me. Uh, I, I hate English grammar. I want to sue somebody who invented it. <laughs> me too. <laughs> What is one thing you are doing that you should be doing less of? Hmm. Maybe uh, eating chocolate while I write. <laughs> nice. Who is one of your favorite thought leaders? Oh, um, I think probably, you know, except my mentor, Wahe Takeda. I really respect uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm. He's been still inspiring me. When I was 19, I was on a freedom trail. I took a Greyhound bus. I went the same way route uh, as uh, you know, freedom uh, or the uh, movement uh, in, this, in the 60s. I have a huge respect for him. And I also have a huge respect for um, uh, Gandhi and John Lennon. And, and uh, everybody has one thing in common. They got all, all, all killed. Mm -hmm. So I think also they uh, talk about peace. So all the people who talked about peace are very inspiring for me. Mm -hmm. I love everyone you mentioned. What is one obstacle that you faced, a challenge that you faced that has been one of your biggest lessons? Mm. I think my smallness, like uh, people uh, say I'm humble. Uh, I, I've sold my books more than 8 million copies, but I cannot really take credit for that. So I just think eight million times somebody at the bookstore just, you know, they put and then just they exchange the credit cards and that. So they did the job. I wrote the book. Yes, that's true. But I feel like it's, that's all I did. So I cannot be um, arrogant in that respect. But mm. this exact thing, uh, people think it's modesty, but I At the same time, I always feel small. I cannot do um, anything big or I, I, cannot, I cannot become a leader. But uh, so this smallness uh, is really limiting myself. Like, before I started doing this in English, no, 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 no. I'm a Japan-only guy. You know, I, nobody is going to listen to me. Uh, nobody is going to listen to my bad English or uh, very Japanese idea because it's very Japanese. But uh, now, uh, like, People like you um, have um, spared the time and just uh, interview me. That's a great honor. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel so small. I'm not I feel I'm not worthy of it. So that smallness is really limiting myself. So every time I have to ask myself, you know, um, uh, they are just doing not for me. Just they they enjoy doing it. So okay, mm -hmm. really, was that good? <laughs> you know. So that's mm -hmm. how I kind of like have to talk myself in into again i think that's a great lesson for all of us stepping into our power yes how can people get a hold of you and you know if they wanted to tap into what you're writing in your books mm -hmm. how can they follow you and, and mm -hmm. learn more um you can find all the inf information at kenhonda.com k-e-n and honda is in a car and uh, i'm translating a lot of stuff into english now i have all the uh, fun exercises to find um Uh, your gifts and how to monetize them. Mm. I have a lot of them uh, free content in Japanese. So I have uh, many volunteers working on them. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully uh, within a few months, it's going to be started putting up an English website too. Awesome. Make sure y'all go check out the website and definitely get in contact with Ken. He's amazing. So Ken, before we sign off, what is your one last piece of wisdom that you want to share with our audience? I always think of dying. Um, I don't know when, but when I die, I think I will remember things. It's not something like, oh, I have a few million dollars or I have like this or what. Uh, Probably people don't think that way, right? So I think life is made of memories. So I guess what is most important thing in life is memories, Mm -hmm. Uh, either good or bad. Mm -hmm. So just uh, take a risk and just make memories. And that's what life is all about. So when we die, like... Oh, gee, I have so many, you know, um, setbacks and uh, glories, but I, I've, I've had a colorful life mm-hmm. is how I want to end my life. So when you, I don't, when you wonder, should I do it? Should I not do it? Do it. And then regret later. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great advice. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the Zen House podcast. Thank you so Thank much, you both much of you. Uh, you are such a great listeners and uh, uh, made my day already. Mm. Beautiful. And thank you to all the listeners. Make sure, like I said, to follow our podcast, comment, share, like. You know, we're a big community here at the Zen House. Make sure you get in contact with Ken and stay in touch with what he's doing. The book Happy Money has has literally changed my life. And I'm, I'm sharing that. It sharing it with everybody I know. So I I highly suggest you going to check it out. Thank you both. And uh, please listen us. Have a beautiful day and and beautiful life. Mm -hmm. Thanks, y'all. Peace and love.